The Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline is the primary covenant document that binds us all together in the Global Methodist Church. It directly points to a number of doctrinal foundational documents that are determining what we believe in our culture. So if you haven't gone back, we've covered the the whole Book of Doctrines and Discipline from the beginning to where we're at today. This series is for helping Global Methodists understand how this new covenant we are part of works, how it is we can live into it faithfully so that we don't reproduce the dysfunction that we came from when people just did what was right in their own eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Good. So we're all on the same page. Um, I feel good about what we've done so far. It's not the sexiest, most exciting thing that we've been a part of, but we've talked about some good doctrines, some good ecclesiology. Um, So far, it's been much more interesting than a lot of people would think. Last week, we covered, uh, it's kind of our second section on church membership and how and why we do it that way. This week, TJ and I are going to pick up where we left off, and we're bringing our brother in Christ, Spencer Tabor, along for the journey. Spencer, say hello to the camera. Hey, guys. All right, so Spencer is in our men's discipleship group. It's it's a kind of a combination of a class and a band. We were together last night, um, and Spencer has a great mind. He has a sub stack that we'll plug on this episode if you want to check him out, learn more about his story. Uh, but we've also got TJ with us, and he is feeling perky and happy and bells on today. Always, always, always. <laughs> so um, not much setup needed for this. If you've watched the previous episodes, we're going to just spend an hour, hopefully cover this uh, section seven on the, well, we're not going to be able to cover the whole thing because it goes in good depth, but we'll give it a, a good start. We're in the section on the local church. We've talked about membership so far. Now we're getting into its organization and administration, how it is that every global Methodist church should be organized. And so the first thing I'll note before we get into it is, A, it has so much overlap with how things were done in the United Methodist Church. Um, I, wow, I'm just blown away by how much they were able to take. And so uh, very familiar language for those of you who are in the United Methodist Church and already studied this. Some of you will see some differences that I don't note, but um, for those of you who never took the time to learn what was in the United Methodist Book of Discipline. Uh, now the expectation is that you you take the time to learn what's in the GMC's uh, covenant document because it matters. So let's get right into it. I'm already tired of my own voice, so let's start off with TJ reading um, the beginning of <clears throat> section 7. We are on page 33, uh, paragraph 336, and perhaps you could read that just Primary the whole test. paragraph. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Section 7, Organization and Administration, Um, paragraph 336, Primary Tasks. Each local church shall be organized so that it can pursue its primary task and mission in the context of its own community, reaching out and receiving with joy all who will respond to the invitation to follow Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives, encouraging people in developing their relationship with God, providing opportunities for them to strengthen and grow that relationship relationship in spiritual formation, and supporting them to live uh, lovingly and justly in the power of the Holy Spirit as faithful disciples. Anything over that, or you just want me to finish it? I, so as I'm going through this, you know, my sensibilities are largely libertarian politically, and a big libertarian precept is stop making all these unnecessary rules and laws. Uh, I immediately as I got into reading this this morning, I'm going, we've already determined what the task of the church is. We already have language there um, and in much more detail. So I'm wondering, anytime that that people are repeating ground that we've already covered, I'm going, okay, why? Yeah, it's kind of weird that you have to have a rule to line out that your job is to do your job. Like, that just sounds like what the first... (laughs) first sentences. Well, so my brain wants to just zone out because I'm going, well, we've already covered what the role of the church is. I already know this, so I don't have to pay attention here. But then the suspicious part of me goes, okay, maybe they sneak something new in so that I think I know all the things about, but then they've they've snuck something else in that is going to quote get quoted on me later. And, oh, no, 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 we we do it this way. So you'll see... uh, I note something on the bottom of the next paragraph that they kind of sneak in, but I at that top one, I kind of zone out. It uh, it responds to the invitation to follow Jesus as Lord of their lives, encourages people to develop a relationship with God. Provide. Why are you saying that? Just say 
Each local church needs to be organized so it can pursue its primary task and mission in the context of its own community. Yeah, next paragraph. disciples. Yeah. So yeah, the, all the all the words, you know, in the in the general rules, one of the things John Wesley warns about is using too many words in the buying and selling of things. And so all these words gets me going. Mm. Are they trying to sell me something? Uh, what's going on here? So anyway, I, I hate to be pessimistic like that. It's just this is what happens when you come out of the United Methodist Church. So, all right, do do paragraph two, and we'll we'll talk about these six particulars. All right, in carrying out its mission, adequate provision should be made to evangelize and spread spiritual holiness. Scriptural. By, scripture. Oh, scriptural. Thank you. Um, scriptural holiness by one planning and implementing a program of nurture, outreach, and witness for persons and families with and without the congregation. Two, providing for effective pastoral and lay leadership. Three, providing for financial support, or providing for, yeah, providing for financial support, physical uh, facilities, and the legal obligations of the church. Four, utilizing the appropriate relationship and resources of the district and annual conference. Five, providing for the proper creation, maintenance, and disposition of documentary record material of the local church, and six, seeking inclusiveness in all aspects of its life. Is that what you uh, highlighted? Yeah, I I I underlined seeking inclusiveness and wrote a question mark. The question mark means... I thought we left this behind, <laughs> but maybe we didn't. And so for, for those of you who don't know, inclusiveness, inclusivity, uh, inclusion, this has become a modern code word for leftism. And that's not to say that Christians are, well, I would say Christians are by nature exclusive. You know, there are those who are in Christ and those who aren't, and it matters that we make that distinction. But then when it's talking about in- inclusion in a worldly sense, it's, do you have enough of every minority and constituency group represented on every board? That's based on a social theory that representation means something, you know, and I'm not sure that group dynamics even work that way. So I think it's a flawed model. You know, we have 20% Native Americans, so 20% of our board needs to be Native American. Yeah, the underlying assumption is just because you have a different skin color, you automatically think different, and that's just ridiculous. Or a different sex, or they're yeah. going to also talk about in a little bit, uh, you need young people represented. Make sure you have a youth on the, the board. You're going to try and grab people from each constituency because supposedly their group identity gives them a different voice that needs to be heard in the... Uh, that's the theory. Which, in it. some cases, yeah, sure, that could be the case. Fine, but like, if that's the case all of the time, I just think that's a weird presupposition to to start with. Yeah, it's a strange thing, honestly, especially when you think scripturally. Like, inclusivity is not really a biblical principle. Well, yeah, no, Christianity like, is you're exclusive. Meant to be kind and nurturing to everyone, and love your enemies and right. your neighbors and all this stuff. But there's also a lot of stuff scripturally that's like, but if they're a believer and they believe all of this false doctrine, you're not supposed to have them there. Yeah, so. don't even have lunch with them. And Take then them there out. are biblical requirements for each of the positions in the church. Like mm-hmm. there are tons of scripture that tells you, oh, if you're a deacon, you need to be this way. If you're right. an overseer, you need to be this. So I read that the other night and I was just like, what are we including? And why is it in all of my life? Because I'm pretty sure the Bible tells me not to include everything. It's just, it's just really <laughs> vague, and I just don't like the the vagity. Yeah, it's vagity is not. not a word. That vagary, vagary, yeah, vagary. It sounds more like a, <laughs> I don't think that's the right word either. <laughs> it's just way um, the vagueness. Too vague. The vagueness, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it can be interpreted in a lot of ways. So, I mean, the only scriptural proof text I can think of for inclusion is in Acts of the Apostles, some of the Greeks come forward with concerns that the Greek widows are not being taken care of as well as the Jewish widows. And so the answer of the apostles is to say, okay, now all you Greek guys who have a problem, you're the first deacons. Here you go. Your job is to serve now. And so in that sense, like I think, yes, all people are made in God's image. We need to make sure all people are cared for equally. But the answer is not to to necessarily elevate everybody to positions of authority but rather to empower people within the church to serve one another and then to correct people whenever they're showing preference because God shows, so, shows no partiality, neither should we. 
So it's a culture issue, and we want to imagine that we can, I mean, it's the same thing as government. We want to imagine we can legislate morality, right? In the church, we want to imagine we can legislate faithfulness, and that's just not how this works. Like, if you preach the Bible, if you practice the Bible, this stuff will be done right. But you can you can demographically track your whole congregation and put all the right proportions and all the right leadership and still have a crap ministry because you've missed the forest for the trees, you know? Right, yeah. All right. Um, the other stuff, the first five, the other five, are pretty common sense uh, as to what a church needs to do. A lot don't do point five particularly well uh, doing the documentary and historical collection stuff. Right, yeah. Um, but, you man, a lot of people who have the Book of Discipline still don't do it well. So a lot of this stuff, it's like, okay, how many of these are actually just recommendations? And then how many of them really are have-tos? So... Uh, that's a good question to ask as we continue to go down the line. Spencer, um, I think everybody's ready to hear your voice for a prolonged time. So how about you do paragraph 337 for us? Sure. So 337, organization. The basic organizational plan for the local church may be designed by each congregation in such a manner that it provides for a comprehensive program of nurture, outreach, and witness to all. In addition to a charge conference, a congregation must have a church council or similar governing board. The charge conference shall determine how to allocate the other responsibilities outlined in this transitional book of doctrines and dis discipline. Members of the church's governing board or council shall be persons of genuine Christian character who love the church, are morally disciplined, are committed to the mandate of inclusiveness in the life of the church, are loyal to the ethical standards of the GMC, and are competent to administer its affairs. It should include confirmed youth and young adult members chosen according to the same standards as adults. All persons with vote must be members of the local church. The pastor shall be the administrative officer of the church and, as such, shall be an ex officio member of all conferences, boards, councils, commissions, committees, and task forces unless otherwise restricted by the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline. Spencer and his uh, job, his, his job in the world, it deals with a lot of fine print, is very familiar with uh, terms and conditions sheets. And we were saying before, he was saying before we turned on the camera that a lot of this puts you in that same frame it of does. mind. It very much makes me feel like I'm reading, like, all right, remember that Article 7, you waive your right to arbitration as you join this group and you will pay X <laughs> amount of fees for being a member and these are all your responsibilities. So it just it sounds more like I'm signing up for a business, especially when I see things like, oh, you have to make sure that they're all about being inclusive. Make sure to have young people on right. here. Young people that's, like that one just jumped out at me like that's just weird. Like I mean I I, well, no, the I youth, understand it. The youth here's one of the stereotypes all people have about youth. The youth have inner wisdom that they have. They haven't been messed up by the world like we have. They have a pure vision, and we're not wise if we don't listen to them. We need to put, you know what, we old people, we need to be quiet, and the, we need to lift the young people up. I mean, yeah. I'll listen to what they have to say. Oh, um, yeah, no, I'll, I, yeah, I'll listen to it. Like, I mean, I'm 31. I'm not, I, I'm young, so. Yeah. But. Yeah, you just to, finished puberty, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to just we can't be deferring that, to you. Like, you have to have me or somebody younger on a board. Like, it's outlined in here that you you should and like have them. I'm like, I don't. I I trust the older members of this church. They've been around. They've got they they have wisdom. Like, you don't have to have a younger person on on the board. Like, if if that younger person is is like. Uh, you can tell that they're wise in, in some ways. They've got they're m m mature in emotionally and like fine, th but that doesn't. Or if they're I just really like, good with money, or I, I well, yeah. I don't know. Like, well, that was a terrible example because okay, so back when all this stuff got published and the United well, Methodist Church was trying to help people actually know how to do these different boards and committees, I read each pamphlet and one of them was on the Council of Finance. Uh, the finance finance committee, and they said when you're looking at people to be on the finance committee, don't pick the banker, don't pick the stockbroker, pick the people in your church that are most sold out for Jesus. They will do the best service there. 
bankers and churches notoriously do not tithe. You know, like they, they're not governed by Christian monetary principles. But that little old lady in the pews has been tithing all her life, put her on the finance committee. She will be a blessing. And that's the principle that I would have prevail whenever it's saying, here's the people that you should put on this board. Yeah, your primary Members thing, of the though. church's governing board or council shall be persons of genuine Christian character who love the church. Done, right? Done. There. Yeah. Done. The, if the age is the primary issue, then like then you're you're lost. Like there. If you're if, if your primary focus is okay, we got to get young people on here. Young people. Or just every or demographic. even old people. Yeah. Like yeah. pick what someone are you doing? by virtue, not of their Christian character, not of any of this other stuff. If you if you let something else enter into the fray with Christian character, you're you're gonna screw it yeah, up. Yeah, that's just blatantly absurd. Mm. Yeah, it's just again, it's just. I would just say it's confused. I wouldn't <laughs> say it's. Uh, I mean, I, I I see the good intentions, mm-hmm. but I just I we imagine we can do all the things at the same time, and really we need to focus on one thing. Holiness. I think if you can line them up with scripture, sure. Yeah. Because again, the scripture gives us all the requirements for any position in the church, mm-hmm. and so like if you want me to include a young person. I'm gonna line them up with the scripture. Yes. And if they don't fit the requirements that it says that they should be to be in that position, hey, this position doesn't look right for you. Maybe mm-hmm. there's something else in the church we can have you do. Yeah. Yeah. But we need that discernment. Mm-hmm. And then the, we'll 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 continue to have this conversation because the this undergirds this whole section. But the the other thing at the bottom to note is just your pastor should be an ex officio member of every group in the church. There should be no group that meets in the church that does not report to the pastor. It's not because pastor's a control freak. It's because the pastor has to have the eagle-eye vision of what's going on at the church in order to properly guide and direct it, and he or she cannot do that if they don't know what the different groups are that are meeting, what they're talking about, what business they're doing. Yeah, you're supposed to be the overseer. Can't oversee what you don't know. All right, I'll read paragraph 338, deals with the charge conference. So we've talked about the church conference and the charge conference. This confuses a lot of people, so we'll, we'll make sure everybody understands it. Point one, within the pastoral charge, so the charge is any churches that are grouped together for one charge conference unit. Um, so it can be just one church, it can be a group of, I've heard of up to five churches. Um. The basic unit in the connectional system in the Global Methodist Church is the charge conference. The charge conference shall therefore be organized from the church or churches in every pastoral charge and shall meet at least annually. Point two, the membership of the charge conference shall be all members of the church council or of other equivalent body, together with retired ordained ministers and retired diaconal ministers who elect to hold their membership in that charge conference and any others as may be designated in the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline. If more than one church is on the pastoral charge, all members of each church council shall be members of the charge conference. So right now, the two churches I serve, Nowata and Delaware, are part of one charge. Each has their own church council. When we have a charge conference, every member of each church council will be a member of the charge conference. And if we had any retired elders or deacons, they would also be on the charge conference. Are we doing that because this is all in Nowata County, or is it? No, no, they, it's it's not. It's uh, it's really just an administrative thing. Like, how many churches can you group together under one singular elder? It usually corresponds with how many ordained elders are there, unless there's like an associate. Hypothetically, we could have like 10 churches grouped together with like three elders, and it all be on one charge, but I haven't heard of that being done. It's usually just one, yeah, the the charges I know of is like big mega churches with like several elders in different positions, or just a regular medium-sized church with one elder and one church, or one elder in two or three churches is common in the United Methodist Church. So those are the usual units of a charge. And that just beca- that seems to be like the the reasonable administrative load for a charge conference. Interesting. Okay. Point three, the presiding elder, in parentheses, a district superintendent, shall fix the time and place of the meetings of the charge conference and shall preside at the meetings of the charge conference or may designate, designate an elder to preside. Pretty sure it can't be the elder of that charge, but whatever. 
point four, the members present and voting at any duly announced meeting announced meetings shall constitute a quorum. So if it got announced at the right time, put out in the right ways, whoever shows up is the quorum. It doesn't matter how many there are. If you have a very disinterested body where 15 people could be, but only could be there and voting, but only three show up, that's quorum. You don't need to call another meeting and say, well, we need at least eight here. No, they're the quorum. Point five, special sessions may be called by the presiding elder or district superintendent after consultation with the pastor of the charge or by the pastor with the writ. Oh, I underlined the or there. The underlined disappeared. So this this caused all kinds of trouble recently in the United Methodist Church whenever, even in Oklahoma Annual Conference, where we came from, the question was, who can make a charge conference meet to do business? Here it says the presiding elder can, or the pastor with written consent of the presiding elder, district superintendent, in the United Methodist Church, in their book of discipline, it also said, or a majority of the the church council can vote for it. So it had the word or there, and what uh, a lot of churches, a lot of churches wanted to hold a, a charge conference to vote to disaffiliate, but the DS said, no, I'm not going to schedule that. I, I didn't like the way you went through the process for one reason or another. A lot of people looked at this section in the United Methodist Book of Discipline, and they said, that word or there means you don't have say-so. It's either you or us. We get to decide. And uh, they argued in court, and actually, uh, I don't know that they won. I think, I don't know that they made a pronouncement on this by neutral principles, but the denomination of the UMC argued that or there does not counsel out the DS. They just said it really just comes down to the superintendent. If they don't want to schedule it, you can't make them. So we, we brought that into the GMC. Of course, when they drafted this, they didn't know it would become a contentious issue, but I hope at their convening conference next year they correct this so that the presiding elder doesn't have that veto ability just to say, no, no conference for you. So the, the practical application is if you're needing to make a hard decision that only a charge conference can make, but there's only one person that decides if your charge conference can even meet and they're petty and vindictive, then you can really be in bad shape. So this this needs to be uh, rectified in some sense. Yeah, so this is saying that only the district superintendent or the pastor can do it? Yeah, that- with written consent. Yeah, okay, so yeah, you can't just have your board get together and a plurality of members and just decide to do a charge conference. You yeah, can. and I don't know why they removed that. Yeah, that's weird. So that would be something they actually removed from the United Methodist Book of Discipline for yeah. this. So I, if anything, I thought the GMC was going to be democratizing things a bit more. So that I hope that they, they're going to be correcting all kinds of things at this convening so conference. This is probably one they need to look at for sure. Oh, for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. The purpose of such special sessions shall be stated in the call, and only such business shall be transacted as is in harmony with the purposes of that call. Any such special session may be convened as a church conference. So I underlined that part, only such business shall be transacted as as in harmony with the purposes stated in the call. Seems like a problem to me. I mean, I guess the purpose there is so that, you know, oh, we're having this special called conference on like what to do with the curtains or whatever, and nobody cares about that. And actually, when everybody shows up, we have a super important thing that people would be interested in, but they didn't show up because they didn't know we were going to be talking about this. It could be kind of a sly way of getting things done in the local church. But to my mind, it's just... If you're in church leadership, you should show up no matter what's on the agenda. So show up, participate. Anyway, um, what the reason I pushed back against that was we got a special called session of our annual conference together in the UMC in Oklahoma last November where there were significant budgetary issues that needed to be addressed, but because it wasn't part of the stated call, we couldn't address it. It was just declared out of order. Didn't matter that we had all the people assembled that could make a decision. It wasn't in the stated call, so you're just going to have to wait eight months until our properly, or six or seven, I don't remember how many. But that that's no way to do business. If there's an immediate need and you have the body there that can get the business done, I don't think you should be able to limit it to the stated call. So it gets, it gets very, I mean, it sounds like a nerdy thing to take issue with, but it, it has huge implications, especially when you're talking about finances and stuff. So I think why push it off? Like I get maybe make the focus, whatever you called for. Sure. Because that was the reason you started the meeting, but mm-hmm. if there are other issues that need to be addressed, mm-hmm. why push them off? That's just asking for trouble. 
Like, let's let's get nip this in the bud real yeah. fast. Yeah. Yes. Uh, point six. Notice the time and place of the time and place of a regular or special session of the charge conference shall be given at least ten days in advance by three or more of the following, except as local laws may otherwise provide, of course, from the pulpit of the church, in its weekly bulletin, in a local church publication, by email, or by snail mail. That sounds unnecessarily controlling to a lot of people, but if a church is trying to do something surreptitious and dishonest, this is a good thing to have in place. So, point seven, a charge conference shall be conducted in the language of the majority with adequate provision being made for translation. Great. Point eight, a joint charge conference for two or more pastoral charges may be held at the same time and place as the presiding elder or district superintendent may determine. So this is something that grew common in the last 10, 15 years, was superintendents are responsible for every charge in their district, and rather than going to each one individually and getting into their business, it's easier just to get seven to 10 charges together and then just put them through all that paperwork and reporting at the same time, which makes a lot of administrative sense, but the problem is that that personal touch that the DS needs on each church, you don't have anymore. It just becomes an administrative relationship rather than a pastoral relationship. So it's it's something done with good intentions. I'm not sure it has actually been good for the connection in the UMC. All right, finally, point nine, the church conference, not the charge conference, the church conference. To encourage broader participation by members of the church, the charge conference may be convened as a church conference, extending the vote to all professing members of the local church present at such meetings. So as it was, it was only select few. It's saying you can open it up to the entire church membership if you want to. It shall be called at the discretion of the presiding elder, district superintendent, or, oh, that's where I said, I didn't even catch the or before, following a written request to the DS by one of the following, the pastor, the church council, or 10% of the professing members of the local church. Okay, I was mistaken. This is the part that they got from the United Methodist Church that was... Okay, yeah, and that's why it would count, because the vote to disaffiliate was the whole membership of the church, not just the the charge conference leadership. So I was wrong before in saying that the GMC took out the language of the church council or 10% of the professing members of the local church. Oh, okay. That's here. So I was mistaken in where I remembered that they got it from the Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church. So they kept it in there. So the church members can call... A church conference, if there's 10% of them. No? This is a charge conference that is also a church conference. Okay. So because the I difference don't, this is, is the not voting yet. members. Okay, because in a charge conference, it's the board? It's just the board and retired uh, clergy. Okay, and in, in, in the actual church conference, it's all, all of the membership. All the members. Okay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. In any case, a copy of the request shall be given to the pastor. So even if the pastor doesn't want to do it, the church board or 10% of the membership wants to do it, they can't go around the pastor. They have to at least show him or her in writing what it is that they want to do. Additional regulations governing the call and conduct of the church conference shall apply also to the church conference. A joint church conference for two or more churches may be held at the same time and place as the presiding elder may determine. A church conference shall be conducted in the language of the majority with the adequate provision being made for the translation. Blah, blah, blah. We already have that. Okay. Anything else to be said about anything in that paragraph? I don't think so. Okay. It's nerdy, but it matters in situations like we're seeing right now in the United Methodist Church. So it it is worth going through. Okay. Let's go on. TJ, uh, carry us through uh, paragraph 339. Okay, 339, powers and duties. The charge conference shall be the connecting link between the local church, the annual conference, and the general church, and shall have a general oversight of the church council and the overall ministry of the local church. That's number one. Number two, the charge conference, the presiding elder, district superintendent, and the pastor shall organize and administer the pastoral charge and church's according to the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline. When the membership size, program scope, mission resources, or other circumstances so require, the charge conference may, 
in consultation with and upon the approval of the presiding elder district superintendent, modify the organization, organiza, organizational plans provided that the provisions of paragraph 336 through 337 are observed. Uh, we, we already covered that. Okay. Should Nothing be easy. On that. Okay. You're just saying you can change stuff. Great. Sounds good. Uh, number three, the primary responsibilities of the charge conference in the annual meeting shall be to review and evaluate the total mission and ministry of the church, receive reports, elect elders, and adopt... Leaders. What did I say? You said elders. Elders. Okay. Elect leaders and adopt objectives and goals recommended by the church council that are keeping with the objectives of the Global Methodist Church. Number four, the charge conference recording secretary shall keep an accurate record of the proceedings and shall be the custodian of all records and reports and, with the presiding officer, shall sign the minutes. A copy of the minutes shall be provided for the presiding elder district superintendent and a permanent copy shall be retained for the church files. When there's only one local church on a charge, the secretary of the church council shall be the secretary of the charge conference. When there is more than one church on a charge, one of the secretaries of the church councils shall be elected by the charge conference to serve as its secretary. Number five, each charge is encouraged to be inclusive in the makeup of the council so that all segments of the congregation are represented. So that's a third time... Oh, yeah. two pages that we've run into inclusivity being a, a primary concern. In right, and it doesn't, like, specify exactly what does that mean in this case. Like, it's just, it's really vague. I don't like it. I really don't like it. I, I would like to see, who like, who is in charge of writing these? Like, who wrote this specific thing? Let's so get them on the I, record. I'm pretty certain, uh, you know what, I'll go get my, well, I've got a book of discipline over here. I'm pretty sure they just took this from the United Methodist just Church. Just copy and paste? I, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. I, I would be very surprised if the GMC was putting inclusivity in there rather than just adopting the language we had. I guess that's somewhat permissible um, as long as they catch it and be like, okay, this this language is problematic. We should go back and 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 do something about this because what inclusivity, inclusivity, what does that mean? could mean a thousand things. Anyways. It means whatever you want it to mean when you're in power. Right, yeah. yeah. So number six. The charge conference may establish a limit to the consecutive terms of office for any or all of the elected or appointed officers of the local church, unless the transitional book of doctrine and discipline sets a specific limit. It is recommended that no officer serve more than three consecutive years in the same office. Number seven. The charge conference shall examine and recommend to the Board of Ministries, faithfully adhering to the provisions of the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Disciplines, candidates for ordained ministry who have been professing members in good standing of the Global Methodist Church or its predecessors for at least one year, whose gifts, evidence of God's grace, and call to the ministry clearly establish them as candidates and who have met the educational requirements." It is out of the faith and witness of the congregation that men and women respond to God's call to ordained ministry. Every local church should intentionally nurture candidates for ordained ministry, providing for spiritual and financial support, and for their education and formation as servant leaders for the ministry of the whole people of God. So every church is responsible for finding new preachers. That's, that's what that is. Okay, that's fair. I don't have an issue. The only that. problem I had, I, I, I underlined for at least one year, I would probably have someone be in the church faithfully serving for at least three years before advancing them as a candidate for ministry. You're going to see later that they require a longer membership in the church just to serve on some committees. Hmm. So it's strange to me that the length of time for becoming a candidate for ministry would be shorter than for serving on a local church committee. It's just weird. Yeah, TJ doesn't care. Uh, yeah, well, so, so I, just put them forward. They'll flunk out if they're no good. Yeah, that, well, hopefully. Well, but um, the problem is we know that the bad ones don't flunk out. They often yeah, fail I mean, up. That's, well, even if somebody's been in there for three years, like it's still going to be up to the, the board that's going to ordain them if they push them through or not, and that's part of the problem with the UMC is they were just pushing people that were unqualified through. Ah, yeah. So Don't worry about local church. 
just worry about the Board of Warden ministry. Well, They're the ones both. that... Yeah, I would say both. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Number eight. The Charge Conference shall examine and recommend, faithfully adhering to the provisions of this transitional book of doctrine and disciplines, renewal of candidacy of candidates for the ordained ministry. Number nine. The Charge Conference shall inquire annually into the gifts, labors, and usefulness of the certified lay... <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just... Usefulness of the certified lay ministers related to the charge and recommend and recommended to the board... I cannot read today, apparently. And recommended to the Conference Board of Ministries those persons who have met the standards for a certified lay minister. So a lay minister is different from an ordained pastor. A lay minister is someone trained by the annual conference uh, training staff, uh, whoever they appoint for it, to serve in a leadership capacity in the local church, usually filling in as pulpit supply for pastor, but also being um, filling in in a lot of ways. In the United Methodist Church, they started calling them lay servants rather than certified lay Ministers. So this is the one we talked about uh, a while, a couple of episodes back, right? That they only let them do it for a year, and then they're like, um, uh, I don't think so. I think for... this is a different thing. Is so it different yeah, so they're so this is an indefinite position in the local church that already has an elder. So you want an elder in place, oh, but also okay. the elder can't do any everything. So you need certified lay ministers to kind of fill in. Uh, supply. And but you're right in remembering there is another provision for if there is no elder to fill gotcha. in, but somebody has is on that track, right? then they can serve for up to a year getting uh, their credentials. Yeah, we're going to push them into the ordination process. But I don't remember what that title was. I don't remember either. Shame. Yeah, there's just so much. Um, Point 10, keep reading. So much in here too. Do you, you can hand off, by the way. Uh, yeah, it's, I might as well okay. finish it. All right. Uh, the charge conference shall receive reports annually on all local church organized mission teams and shall forward the com combined report through the regular annual local church statistical report. <laughs> we haven't talked about the statistical report later, but we will. That's a, that's a thing coming up. Well, not today, but yeah. Okay. In the future. Number 11, the charge conference shall, in consultation with a presiding elder, set the compensation of the appointed clergy. You're going to decide how much clergy get paid. Yeah. Yep. Number 12, in preparation for and at the charge conference, it shall be the responsibility of the presiding elder, the pastor, the lay members of the local conference, and or the church lay leaders to interpret to each charge conference the importance of apportioned funds, explaining the causes supported by each of them and their place in the total program of the church. Payment in full of these apportionments by local churches is the first benevolent responsibility of the church. So this is directly... So in the GMC, we don't call it apportionments. We call it connectional giving. I think they just copied and pasted here, because here it still calls it apportionments, but the notion is that every local church is a member of the annual conference, and every church, according to a, a formula that is adopted, will be asked a certain percentage of their income to send for the larger conference ministries, and that is their first benevolent responsibility to the church. That's saying that comes before any other missional spending that you do. Okay. My eyes are glazing over in this this whole paragraph. So, in the United Methodist Church, their askings were, I think, if you averaged it all out, between twelve and thirteen percent of a church's income. In the Global Methodist Church, I think so far the average is three point four or four percent. So it's significantly lower. And, and they've it, got a cap on that. They too, do. Don't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's either six or seven percent. Okay. So it's never going to be as high as the UMC. All right. Let's see. Thirteen. Thirteen. All right. The charge conference shall receive an act on the annual report from the pastor concerning the church's membership. Okay. So that's another thing the pastor has to do. We've already got a number of musts that the pastor does that most pastors don't do. This is another one. Membership report. Membership audit. Yeah, but this, this is also a must in the United Methodist Church. They yes. just weren't doing it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, no. Well, they were doing it, but they were just phoning it in. Okay. They were okay. not scrutinizing 
who are the inactive members that we right, need Right, that's get why off. the membership was yeah. way jacked up, and then they, and the people that just showed up on a given Sunday was way below. Yes. Okay. 14. In those instances where there are two or more churches on a pastoral charge, the charge conference may provide for a charge or parish council, a church-wide or parish treasurer, and such other officers, commissions, committees, and task groups as necessary to carry on the work of the charge. All churches of the charge shall be represented on such church-wide or parish committees or boards. Charge-wide or parish organization shall be consistent with disciplinary provisions for the local church. So these are unpaid positions, I'm pretty sure. Um, Or maybe that doesn't even matter, but it's just saying, like here in Nowata and Delaware, we're one charge. Right now we have two separate treasurers. You could have just one for both churches, and it'd be fine. But the churches would have to get together and approve that, I assume, vote on The charge conference, I think, would have to. Oh, yeah, yeah. So both churches. Yes. Or however many churches. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, so we are on 15. 15. In instances of multiple church charges, the charge conference shall provide for an equitable distribution of parsonage maintenance and upkeep expense or adequate housing allowance among the several churches. So I live in a parsonage owned by the Noada Church, so the Delaware Church is obligated, according to this, to kick in some money for the continued maintenance and care of that um, so that they're both sharing the load. Yeah, because you're a pastor for both. Exactly. Makes sense. All right, 16, the charge conference shall promote awareness of and concurrence with the doctrinal standards and general rules of the Global Methodist Church, paragraphs 101 through 109, and with policies relative to the social witness of the church, paragraphs 201 to 202. Nothing on that? I mean, it's just another, like, does it have to be in there? But right. yeah. yeah. That's, that's I mean, a, yeah, that'd be great. A lot of this. Yes, do it. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be done. I hope you would do it even if it wasn't in writing. Um, 17, when authorized by the presiding elder and other relevant annual conference agency, the charge conference may provide for the sponsoring of satellite congregations ooh, and the planting of new faith communities. So Sorry. they're uh, pushing the satellite campus kind of stuff. You can do it, but you need their sign-off. Yeah. Okay. 18. The charge conference shall have such other duties and responsibilities as the general or annual conference may commit to it. So the uh, there can be other stuff. Yeah. And if we give it to you, here you go. It's yours. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. These are all the stuff. There can be more stuff. Yeah. We, yeah. We reserve the right to make you do stuff. Or you can sign up to do stuff that's not already enumerated here. It doesn't have to be a power thing. It can be, hey, this is just a structure, but you're not limited to it. We can, we can, we can organically adapt to the situation at hand. That would be the, that would be the tone in which they want that to be read. <laughs> All right, uh, Spencer, you get a very short paragraph. I Woo-hoo. think I'll give you the next two. So 340, here we go. Sounds good to me. Election of leaders. The charge or church conference shall elect by simple majority vote leaders as needed to fulfill the mission of the church. In filling the offices of the church, special attention should be given to the inclusion of women, men, youth, young adults, persons over 65 years of age, persons with disabilities, and persons of various racial, ethnic, or tribal identities. Local church offices may be shared between two persons. We've already talked about the inclusion thing. This is the most gratuitous in the lists of all the constituencies that should be considered. Um... Just draw this entire paragraph. Well, except I I did uh, the last sentence. Local church offices may be shared between two persons. I underlined that because I didn't remember that from the UMC, and that seems like immediately problematic. If you have like two treasurers, that can get hairy if one doesn't communicate well with the other. Right, yeah. Yeah, I can see how that would be a problem, because especially in most churches, you're not really outside of the bigger ones why would you need two people for that position? One person should be able to handle that just fine. Yeah. It, like, it, I can get it for, like, the bigger churches and well, if all that, that and, stuff there. Well, if that's but, the case, just give them an assistant right. yeah. or a team. Yeah. Like, that's what makes sense to me. Yeah. 
Like, I just I have no idea what that is. Yeah, the but my mind goes to the different. office reference where there was a, a time where both Jim and Scott, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Mike were Mike Michael were both bosses at the same time, and Oscar's going, "Yeah, what country doesn't have two presidents? You know, what <laughs> what company doesn't have two CEOs? You know, the whole yeah. principle being like that's a terrible scenario." So, anyway, uh, I don't know if that's you think, ever. You think they just copied and pasted this one too? I don't know. I, I have no memory of that being in the UMC's book of discipline. It could have been. But it could also be something new that they're just like, hey, if somebody doesn't want to do all of the treasurer duties, then you can have two treasurers, and one can do some jobs, and other can do the others. Or, you know, being a trustee's chair is hard. There's a lot of things to. I mean, I can imagine people thinking it's a good idea for that reason. But in that case, TJ says, just get an assistant, yeah, or just don't put it in there. Like, right. if you've got too many responsibilities, it's part. Of, give them to somebody else. <laughs> I just why do you have to put that in there it's unnecessary i don't know man I, I somebody smarter than me has a good reason for it though we didn't even talk about the inclusion thing i guess we're just well gonna, we've already beaten i mean it's just I've everywhere we've already talked yeah. it's just i, it's I just want to just push it push it more like get it out of there stop it what are you doing yeah, anyways for me again it's still it's just the i'm going by scripture so when it comes to leadership positions i am looking at the scripture and if that person, whether they are a woman, a man, black, white, whatever, if they do not fit that scriptural standard, not not going to touch that with a ten foot pole. We got to make sure there's a, a Cherokee and a Delaware on the because uh, tribal identities. I, have no I understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to get nerdy and say actually the Delaware <laughs> are part of the Cherokee. Well, I see. And let me tell you the story about when one side killed the other's chief. Yeah, so we that, can't get my into whole that. class. That was I took a class for that in college. <laughs> okay, it's been too long. <laughs> so yeah, it's just um, so the way it mirrors the political thing is you know the libertarians are just like merit, merit alone, merit, and then the people on the left are. Uh, you have historically underrepresented minority, um, underrepresented minority groups, and we need to balance the scales and affirmative action and give some people a leg up, and and uh, it just never works out that way. That's the thing. But, you know, I, I, I'm all for the church should definitely like resocialize society and operate by different social principles, but I, I still think it, certain group dynamics just don't work. And one is. If you're picking someone for a, a position based on inalienable characteristics that don't correspond at all with merit, or in this case, faith, then you're you're not going to get a good outcome for the purpose of your organization. Right, right. Okay, I'm Spencer, done. paragraph 341. Removal of officers and filling of vacancies. If a leader or officer who has been elected by the charge conference is unable or unwilling to perform the duties reasonably expected of such a leader or officer, the presiding elder may call a special session of the charge conference. The purpose of such special session shall be stated as consideration for the removal of person from office and the election of person to fill vacancy. The Nominations and Leadership Development Committee or another group charged with the responsibility shall meet as soon as possible after the special session of the charge conference has been announced and shall propose person who may be elected if vacancy occur at the charge conference. If the charge conference votes to remove a person or persons from office, the vacancies shall be filled in the manner prescribed for elections. When a local church trustee is under consideration for removal and the pastoral charge consists of two or more churches, a church local conference shall be called instead of a charge conference. Okay, so that's just saying that if somebody doesn't want to uh, do their job, you got to call a conference to get rid of them. Is that what I'm? I don't think it's hearing? saying you have to. I'm just saying uh, I think it's if it just you says they may. It looks like if you so want you to. Could. Here's what that looks like. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, because I can imagine just reading this section, I'm just kind of like, if I've got a person who is unable or unwilling to do their duties that are reasonably expected of them, why am I just going to call a special meeting to get rid of them? I'm just going to be like, well, hey, since it seems like you don't want to be a part of this or maybe there's something else you can do, let's see where we can move you to. Right. And yeah. then I'm going to just start being like, would anybody be interested in this position? 
the rest of that just seems like a whole bunch of unnecessary steps to just be like, all right, now we've got to have a vote and like, no, let me get the candidates first. And then I can just say, hey, we're having a change of leadership and here is the options that you all have gotten to keep it fair. We just want to your all's vote on who should take over. Here you go. Right. Yeah, it just seems unnecessarily complicated. Well, you have to have a process. Otherwise, it's a Wild West. So if not this process, then what? That's that's, that's and we the don't... underlying idea behind this entire book, I guess. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so the way it, it functionally operates is I don't think anyone really expects for a GMC clergy to have all this memorized and go by the book. But whenever things get hairy in the local church and you're not sure how to go about things, then they have it written out and you can consult this and go, okay, okay, uh, I'll just do this process and then I won't be in trouble. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you picked up a book. What do you... I picked up a book. Yeah. Well, the, the, the 2016 Book of Discipline. Oh, okay. But I was trying to find the areas that it corresponds to, and the paragraph doesn't correspond with Not paragraph. Close, they have it yeah. organized different. So I might, uh, uh, I need to take the time. I've got a digital version of the Book of Discipline. I think it lets me search for words and phrases. So I, I might try and do that next time you guys are talking. Okay. Let's go on to paragraph 342 Duties of Leaders. One, out of the professing membership of each local church, there shall be elected by the charge conference a lay leader who shall function as the primary lay representative of the laity of the local church and shall have the following responsibilities. Laity is just non-clergy. So here are their responsibilities. Point A, fostering awareness of the role of laity, (laughs) both within the congregation and through their ministries in the home, workplace, community, and world, and finding ways within the community of faith to recognize all these ministries. I just hear, we're important too, and we do things, and we're going to tell you about the things that we do. I, I don't know. The other yeah, primary you're purpose important. is to make people aware of them. Yeah. Not preachers exist too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Point Especially B. you had to put that at the first part. Like, right. your first job is to make sure people know who you are and what you do. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Point B, meeting regularly with the pastor to discuss the state of the church and the needs for the ministry. So that's that's important. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know what if somebody is in a leadership position and they're not regularly meeting with the pastor, you can just guarantee that things are going to start to spread out and conflict is more likely. Point C. Uh, serving as a member of the Charge Conference and the Church Council, the Finance Committee, the Nominations and Leadership Development Committee, and the Pastor-Parish Relations Committee, where, along with the pastor, the lay leader shall serve as the interpreter of the actions and programs of the annual conference and the general church to be better equipped to comply with this responsibility. It is recommended that the lay leader also serve as lay member of the annual conference. So that's a different position. Lay member of the annual conference goes and represents your church, to the annual conference, has voice and voted annual conference. So it's recommended that one person has both positions, but here it's also saying that the lay leader should serve on any of the major committees that the church has to pretty much duplicate the role of the pastor in case the pastor sucks or can't be there. You know, they can represent the the bird's eye vision of the church. And in that case, I've heard a lot of people go, this is just re- duplication. You know, this is, this is, uh, and I go, yeah, that's, I actually think that's great. I think it's great to have overlap and duplications. Uh, otherwise, things can really fall apart if just one person dips out. D, continuing involvement in study and training opportunities to develop a growing understanding of the church's reason for existence and, and the types one. of ministry that will most effectively fulfill the church's mission. I'm just, I'm such a Luddite. Uh, that's a term not a lot of people know, but it's just people that go, we don't need any innovation here. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I go, yeah. I don't know if I want to be a part of a church that is developing a growing understanding of the church's reason for existence. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, Jesus we, told us what that was. Yeah, do we need a growing understanding yeah. of that? Like, what? No. It, did it change? Is something going to change in a couple of years? Like, yeah, what? that's mm, right. Don't like that. Mm. All right. Um, what are we? Uh, okay. Well, okay. D is just saying lay leaders should be studying and training. Uh, who provides that studying and training? I think it can be p- 
agencies outside of the church, but the expectation has been, at least in the United Methodist Church, that the annual conference provides training opportunities that then they go to, which if you have a great conference, that's great, but if you have a conference that's uh, an activist conference, then it's going to be indoctrinating right. your lay leader. In the GMC, do we have any resources training. or any training like I don't no that that infrastructure hasn't been created i was about yet. to say it's only it hasn't been that long so i say yeah. that but then no i know that they've already started contracting with an outfit called the international leadership institute ili they have like seven principles that they teach it's very evangel evangelistically minded um it's yeah it's a it's it's not it's not gmc but the gmc is contracting with right. them to train well, and it's early so i'm sure they'll have some other stuff yeah. coming up so Point D, um, assisting and advising the e. church council. Did I skip? Well, you said no. D again. We're on E. It's E. Yeah, yeah I did say that. And uh, reminder, this is the responsibilities of the lay leader. Okay. Assisting and advising the church council of opportunities available and the needs expressed for a more effective ministry of the church through its laity in the community. Makes sense. I don't have... Whatever. Yeah. Cool. Okay. F informing the laity of training opportunities provided by the annual conference. Where possible, the lay leader shall attend training opportunities to strengthen his or her work. The lay leader is urged to become a certified lay minister. So we already talked about that before. That's the ones that kind of supplement the work of, of the pastor. In instances where more than one church is on a charge, the charge conference shall elect additional lay leaders so that there will be one lay leader in each church. Associate lay leaders may be elected to work with the lay leader in any local church sharing the responsibilities. So it's saying we uh, there could be a lay leader for Delaware and a lay leader for Nowata. Mm -hmm. Sarah Beth is the lay leader for Delaware. Um, Vicky's the one for Nowata, correct? Yeah. yeah. And then if we wanted to, we could have an associate lay leader here at Nowata. You could be associate. You could be associate. So. Everybody can be an associate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says what it encourages them to become a certified lay minister. So mm -hmm. certified by the Global Methodist yes, Church. Sir. Okay. G, the lay leader at each local church's discretion may also serve as the chairperson of the church council or other governing body. I didn't know that. I always thought they had to be two separate people, but no, they can be the chairperson of the church council. Mm. All right, so that was all under point one. So now this is point two, the lay member of the annual conference. This is going to be have to be the last section we cover to keep this under an hour. So, Well, we are almost into the next section. So, Are we? Yeah, so the, this oh, paragraph you're right. and then one more paragraph. Well, no, wait, the next paragraph. Okay, we'll yeah, finish we the paragraph, paragraph, whatever. Okay, okay, okay. Point two, the lay member of the annual conference. Okay, that's the one that represents the local church at annual conference. And alternates may be elected annually or to coincide with the conferences of the general church. If the charge's lay member of the annual conference shall cease to be a member of the charge or shall for any reason fail to serve, an alternate member in the order of election shall serve in place. So there is going to be an annual election of people representing in, in various capacities the lay leader and the lay rep to annual conference can be the same, but they can also be different. You should have not just that designated, but alternates in case they leave the church, in case they just can't serve, then you should have an alternate or two that can fill in for them. Makes sense. Both the lay members and the alternates shall have been professing members in good standing of the GMC or its predecessor for at least two years and shall have been active participants for at least four years next preceding their election except in a newly organized church. Churches, be, uh, so I'm going to highlight, uh, to become a candidate for ministry, you only have to be in there one year. Here, it had a right, two yeah, or this four is the one thing you were talking yeah, about. I was earlier. talking about this. Okay. Churches that become part of an ecumenical shared ministry shall not be deprived of their right of representation by a lay member of the annual conference. So we were talking about like federated communities that could be like associated with the Anglicans and the Global Methodist or something, one congregation associated with two different denominations is saying, doesn't matter what other denominations they're affiliated with, if they're affiliated with you, they get voice and vote. The lay member of the annual conference, along with the pastor, shall serve as an interpreter of the actions of the annual conference session. 
So once session meets, they've gone, they're going to come back. They have to interpret what business was covered at the annual conference session to the, the body of the church. And the pastor does it too. These persons shall report to the church council on actions of the annual conference as soon as possible. I don't know why that's there, but I like that it's there. I like timely reporting. <laughs> Point three, the church council or governing board chairperson shall be elected by the charge conference annually and shall have the following responsibilities. So, okay, so there's a church council, but you can also call it a governing board or something. But the chairperson, the one who runs the meetings, the one who sets the agendas, I think they set the agenda. That might be the secretary, but whatever. The one in charge is responsible for these. They have these responsibilities. A, leading the council and fulfilling its responsibilities. Great. B, preparing and communicating. It's like I didn't read this this morning. I, okay. Yeah, they prepare and communicate the agenda of the council meetings in consultation with the pastor, lay leader, and other appropriate persons. C, reviewing and assigning responsibility for the implementation of actions taken by the council. That's important. D, communicating with members for the council and others as appropriate to permit informed action at council meetings. So the notion here being they don't just run the meeting. There's a lot of stuff in between meetings that they're responsible for as well. So this is technically Carl's job description, but I never sat down and <laughs> showed him this. Um, all right. Uh, e, coordinating the various activities of the council. Okay. F, providing initiative and leadership for the council as it engages in planning, establishing of objectives and goals, and evaluating ministry. G, participating in leadership training programs as offered by the annual conference and or district. I think the, the constant focusing on leadership training is you'll find people that inhabit, uh, take up a certain position for a while, and they're like, don't tell me how I'm going to do my job. I know what I'm doing, but they've always been doing the same thing, and they're actually not very good at it. And so it's just saying, okay, you have to push them to be in these environments where they have to identify as learners, not as experts. And I think that's a good thing. H. The council chairperson shall be entitled to attend meetings of all the boards and committees of the church unless specifically uh, limited by the Book of Discipline. The chairperson is encouraged to attend annual conference. So he, he's not given an ex officio position as the pastor is. He's not given voice and vote as the lay leader is, but he or she should be in attendance at all of them just to know what's going on. So you actually have three people that are entitled to go to every meeting in the church which I, again, think is good. Yeah, it's a good thing. All right, final point for this paragraph. This is point four. In congregations with an alternate system of governance, individuals shall be named to represent the functions filled by a pastor parish relation and finance committee and a board of trustees. So what that's saying here is that churches can have a governance model like we do, where we actually don't have a bunch of committees. We have one committee. We have a church board but each member of that church board is associated with one of these three committees on there. Pastor Parish Relations, we'll get into this next week. It's responsible for conflict resolution in the church, especially around the pastor. Finance Committee is self-explanatory. Board of Trustees is responsible for the physical assets of the church. So everybody on the church board should be affiliated, associated with one of these uh, to, to kind of divvy out responsibilities. I like our system of governance. I have served in... Uh, uh, settings where you have four, five, six, seven committees, and man, when church work becomes about committee work, it's Does not, not sound fun. No. If even the best, I love commit, I mean, I love our committee meetings here. They're like half prayer, half encouragement, you know, half business, but even so, the life of faith is not committee work. Mm -hmm. All right, we're, we're, we've, Closed out, we covered a few pages, a few paragraphs. Next week, we're going to pick up with the church council. We're going to learn more about the NOW, N-O-W, Nurture Outreach Witness program that the United Methodists adopted and that we <laughs> that they created and we're adopting. Um, and uh, I think there's some more inclusion stuff next week. Uh, so uh, any, any corrective we should offer for the, the criticisms that we offered of the concern around inclusivity this week? I stand by my comments. So, yeah, no. I do too. Like, I am all for wanting to make sure that everybody is 
heard and understood because you are trying to mm-hmm. explain the love of Jesus to people, and we have to be understanding and caring to really reach them. But I think there's a difference between having that understanding and that compassion to be able to have a a dialogue mm-hmm. between people and push those moments and help maybe understand what's keeping them from Christ or what will help them grow further. But in terms of like including them in everything, that's just not possible. Yeah, there's, there's okay, the practicality of it, but also the theology around it. Um, and so, you know, in the end, Christians have to say, forget what's possible. There's just what Jesus told us, and we're going to figure out how to do that. But when Jesus, uh, the liberals say he draws a circle wide. And in, in some senses, that's true. You know, there are a lot of people that one would think could not repent and be accepted, and he does allow repentance and acceptance of a lot of people that society scorns, that people of other religious traditions scorn, and it's scandalous that God receives any of us, much less uh, <laughs> heathens and harlots and publicans and thieves. You know, the, so that's that's the way in which God is radically inclusive, but the worldly way in which it's often meant is not something that really corresponds with uh, biblical or, or church values, and the lack of discernment around that is really concerning. Um, even so, what what I would say to try and spin this, and I'm allowed to spin, um, spin away, is just that. Uh, well, I already did some of that. You know that that Christ includes a lot who who don't, and there is a way to read it through that lens. It does not necessarily open the door to rampant leftism if we guard well. And I do think that there are. I keep talking to people in leadership in the GMC. Pretty much everybody's on board with guarding against far leftism. You know, so I I think it is possible. Just as liberals only read half of the Bible, and they read the other half in the way that they want to, you know, I think conservatives can do that with the book of transitional book of doctrines and discipline, and just say, well, we're going to decide inclusion means this in this biblical way, uh, even though some of the explicit language is kind of grating. Um, but you know, if you run a biblical church, then anyone you put on that board is going to be biblically oriented and faithful, so uh, it just won't be a threat. Even so. I think we all hope they kind of augment the language next year. So, for sure. All right, well, this was Spencer's first time with us. We'll see if he wants to sign on with us nuts next week or some other time. But thanks to you, Spencer, for being with us, and thanks to TJ for always putting this together. As a general reminder, uh, we know that this is not like the most exciting series, but we think it is something that needs to happen if we're going to be good members of the Global Methodist Church. And so we... We're encouraged to see how many people are watching this and engaging this, and and uh, I, I went to annual conference this last week, and a lady came up to me and said, the most helpful thing you've done for me is that series. And I said, really? Um, I, I like I like knowing that, and uh, I like doing all the different series that I do here on Plain Spoken. If I didn't, I wouldn't do them. Um, but just as a general reminder, this thing... Uh, it, it takes. It took money to to build all this stuff. It's going to take money to bring TJ on and other staff uh, to create more content for the good of the church. So I don't pocket anything that you decide to donate. I never do. I got plenty of money. If you give uh, to it, it goes directly into a church fund that builds this ministry up. So pray about it. I had a guy uh, talk to me yesterday, and he said, I'm between jobs, but as soon as I figure out a new job, I'm going to consider you part of my tithe. I don't want to take any money from your local church, but I would, I would love to, to welcome you to partner with me in this ministry if you think that it's a benefit to the world and to the church. God bless you for even praying about it. God bless you for uh, spending time with us, and um, I, I hope you are empowered in your local church to glorify Christ more effectively, uh, if not by the transitional book of doctrines and discipline, then at least by the time that you've spent with three men who love the Lord. So that's enough talking. God bless you. I'll see you next time.